welcome to episode 52 of Etc. Etc. I'm your host, Aug Stone. 52 episodes. Wow. We're now playing with a full deck. Well. But then there's Robin Hitchcock's 52 Stations, a song I love. Especially the Kershaw Sessions version. Y'all know that one? It's been an exciting week this week. I put out the first Young Southpaw single with music behind it. It's called Humpty Dumpty in HD, and you can find it, well, all over the internet. So do check it out at the Young Southpaw Bandcamp page, though, because that's got the full artwork on it. For some reason, the major outlets don't allow any other text than the band name and album title. And then the illustration, Humpty Dumpty's sitting on a wall listening to records on an old gramophone player. And there's a stack of vinyl next to him, and there's a record sleeve leaning up against the wall by a band called The King's Horses. And I had to take out The King's Horses for the other releases. But the story is a wild ride through the nursery rhyme, taking in Minor Threat, Digital Underground, John Cleese's role on the Avengers TV show, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School, Echo and the Bunnymen, Casablanca, and a whole lot more. Bobby Berry did the awesome music, and check out the video, which has Joe Bevan from Desperate Journalist doing some serious dad dancing in it. Actually, I'll play you a clip now. So yeah, who is this cat, Humpty Dumpty? Why is he portrayed as an egg, you know? Because it's easy to break? That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, why would why would horses be trying to put an egg back together in the first place? And horses don't even lay eggs. Now, the closest you come is like like a platypus, maybe. And that's a semi-aquatic creature with a duck bill. Not very close at all. And you assume an egg breaks. There's like so many little cracks and whatnot. You can't be putting it back together. I mean, trying to get all that yolk and all the other stuff back inside, you know? It's crazy. And why was he so important to the king? I mean, what type of kings are giving eggs vital roles in their ruling of the realms? If you like that, there's six and a half more minutes of it. Do check it out. And any shares or purchases are greatly appreciated. And now for something completely different. This week's guest is the one and only Philip Jays, an English singer whose work is in the great style of Jacques Brel, who we'll talk about a lot in the interview. I first heard Jays back in 2006. My friend JDC is a huge fan, always going on about him. So I went to check out his show one night and I've gone many, many times since. Excellent songs, really well-crafted, full of poetry and love and humor and meaning and, well, life, really. And we talk a lot about that, so let's get to it. All right, we're here today with Philip Jays. How you doing? All good, thank you. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Very good. Where are, you, where are you then, all today? I am in Connecticut. Oh, okay. Which is uh, about an hour and a half outside of New York City. Okay. Yeah. Where, where are you, Phil? I'm in Bogner, which is about an hour and a half outside of London. <laughs> we are strategically placed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually uh, on the south coast. Okay. 
for those who don't know, yes, it's on the south coast. It's just along a bit from Brighton. Is New Haven Harbor of your song fame? Is that near you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, there's Brighton. Then there's uh, there's um, New Haven. Is it that way around? Oh no, no, no! It's Eastbourne, New Haven, Brighton, and then you carry on over to to um, Worthing, Bognor. All right, because New Haven is one of the two major cities of Connecticut. Oh, okay. Two words, though. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, my first question, and this will probably relate to your shirt, as we were just talking. Uh, about this yeah. Do you remember when you fell in love with music as a kid? Um, yes, I mean, I was born in 1962, so really, I suppose about 1972, about 10 years old, and I, I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't check whether this is historically correct, but it would have been around that time, I think my elder brother had a copy of um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which is one of the, my earliest memories of, of music, well, my memory of music actually predates that because my dad um was a jazz pianist uh um, played the piano he had a like a uh, he had a grand piano in the house he was actually a chiropractor oh. but uh, and my mum was an opera singer really? so so there was always uh music in the house uh, i remember as a kid uh, hearing my mum practicing her scales at the piano um and and my dad playing so so the music in the house was always classical and jazz uh um, so that's so that those of my earliest memories of music but music that i sort of wanted chose to listen to if you like as i said 10 years old in 1972 that's when i started listening to pop music and so that was obviously fairly classic uh leading into the glam rock era so uh the first um single i bought was leader of the gang by gary glitter not very pc now but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I loved it and the first album i bought was um aladdin sane the david bowie um nice. so yes yeah, so those are the it, those are the first bits of music i suppose that i chose for myself as opposed to listening to what my parents were listening to what's your favorite bowie record ah it's a good question i um my uh because uh, as you know i went to france in 1980 when i was 18 discovered jack Brel. That was really like, when I discovered Brel, he, to me, he was so much better than everybody else. I mean, to me at that time, he was just, it was just, it was like nothing else I'd heard or nothing else that I'd seen. And um, so that is a sort of, that is like a cutoff point for me. So everything that Bowie did after that, some of it I've never even heard. Uh, um, uh, so, so the Bowie albums that I, like and that i have still uh, uh range from space oddity through and heroes um my favorite i, I mean aladdin sane has an awful lot of uh, childhood memories mm. so i say it's the first one that i bought um but i do like i like diamond dogs as well uh, very much um, but all of these, all of these things are very much rooted in nostalgia. Oh, uh, all right. 
yeah, we did, but just because, as I say, like, Bowie is a difficult one for me, Bowie, because I, I love his stuff and I loved him as a kid. But I always had, I always had, well, not always, but once I discovered um, Braille and the quality of songwriting and, and sort of narrative songwriting, uh, um, you know what I mean? So, songs that you can understand, if you like. And then I never understood a lot of Bowie's songs. I think I think the thing that Bowie had was that he, 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 there were certain phrases in a song that you pick up on. You know what I mean? I don't know if, that, if that's how it works for you, but it, there are certain little lines that, that you sort of relate to. And I think he was very good at that. And I think he was a brilliant musician. I think he was a great composer, actually. That, like the, the finding great tunes for songs, I think that was something that, that he always did. Hmm. But the only thing... The only thing that sort of makes me step back from him a bit is the whole lyrical thing. So, um, as I say, all the stuff pre-1980, that stuff still has the nostalgia for me, and that's why I like it, and that's why I listen to it. But anything that after 1980, I have listened to bits of it, and some of it's interesting, but it's not really for me, mm-hmm. much as I admire. What do you think of his Braille covers? Well, funnily enough... Um, I was hearing Amsterdam as a, as, a, as a teenager before I went to France. And that's how I discovered Jacques Brel, ah. because I was living in Arles in South France and I'd met these people. And now I didn't realize it at the time, but probably chronologically it would fit in that, that these friends, uh, these two young couples that I'd met, that the two blokes were talking about Brel and Amsterdam. And it probably would have been in October, and uh, he died on October the 9th. And that was 1980, so that was just two years after he died. So they were probably talking about him because it was the anniversary of his death. And I just picked up on them talking about a song called Amsterdam. And I was all proud and English, go, oh, yes, Amsterdam, David Bowie. And they sort of looked at me and went, no, Jacques Brel. And I went, what? And, and, and that was the first time I'd heard the name Jacques Brel. And uh, and that is really that was that was the thing that really changed my life in a way, just a little bit at that point. And I started listening out for this this Jack Brel bloke. And then probably a year later, uh, um, I was going out with a girl, and I was at her parents' house. And again, it must have been the anniversary of his death, exactly a year later, October the ninth. And they were watching some sort of uh, variety show. And they played the clip, the famous clip of Brelsing Amsterdam at Olympia. And um, I'd never, obviously I'd heard a few of his songs by then, but I'd never actually seen him sing. And when I saw him do that, that's the precise moment where I thought, I want to do that. I want to give that a go. I want to try and do that. Because it was just, I'd never seen anything like it. Because I've been into punk and I've been, you know, see, see all these punk bands and, 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 and loved it. But to me, up to that point, however stupid it sounds now, the way that you would be powerful on the stage would be to, you know, shout as loudly as you could into a microphone while somebody was playing guitar as fast as they could behind them, that sort of thing. And here was a bloke standing in a suit and a tie singing to a fucking accordion and an orchestra. And it was still the most powerful thing I had ever seen. It just just absolutely blew me away. And uh, it, it was like a big sort of cultural shift for me that sort of it was like 
oh, it doesn't have to be like this. It can be like that. And it can still be punk. You know what I mean? It's that yeah. it, it, it can still really, really be powerful and forceful. And uh, um, yeah, so in a way, well, not in a way, quite directly, Bowie introduced me to that, but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> so this was, you were around 20 years old when you saw it? Uh, uh, well, um, um, when, uh, I mean, Brel was dead by the time yeah, I got the, the clip. So, but yeah, so when I saw the clip, I was, uh, that would have been 1981, so I was 19. And had you done music before this, or was that, no, that was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of, I, I had, during the punk thing, I had bought an electric guitar and could pick out literally two or three chords, never carried on with it, never sung. Uh, and um, when I came back from France uh, in 1983, um, on my 21st birthday, um, I said to my mum, who I, like, said was an opera singer, I said, could you teach me to sing? And she said, probably not, but um, <laughs> we'll try, because I have, I have two brothers and they both sing very well, but I was the one who, as a child, when I wasn't getting my own way, would sing to my mother, and she found it so offensive <laughs> that cave in because it was so awful so anyway i said to her you know could you teach me to sing and she said we will try and uh, um and she did it. it was absolutely fantastic to have to have lessons on tap for free whenever you want them absolutely brilliant and uh, i went to um argos and bought the cheapest guitar i could find which was a a, a classical you know nylon string 18 quid it cost me uh, just to see. I didn't want to spend a load of money on a guitar if I was never going to play it properly or anything. So mm. um, I bought the cheapest guitar I could find just to see whether I could learn to play it. And I bought a Teach Yourself guitar book and uh, um, and just learned chords. And uh, and that's where I started. And then, you know, um, all of my writing really was sort of just trying to be Jacques Brel. And that's, you know, where it came from. And then I suppose, you know, as the years have passed, other influences have come in, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but that, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how it started. Did your mother know Brel? No. Oh, okay. No, no and she was more rooted in the uh, opera hmm. world. Yeah. I don't want to take it too much away from music, but your dad was a chiropractor? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to the chiropractor as soon as we get done here. I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, it's, 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 my, my, my older brother is also a chiropractor, but my father, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how it came about. I think it might, it might be a friend that he made in the war, in the Second World War, who was a, a, a Canadian who became a chiropractor, and I think said to my dad, you know, you, you might like to try this. My dad actually went, uh, and my mum, uh, went to Toronto to... Uh, to live for a few years while my father studied chiropractic and then he, they came back to this country and uh, um and he sort of became chiropractor nice yeah it helps a lot <laughs> uh, yeah 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 some people yeah <laughs> yeah so what why did you go to france in the first place um i'd uh i'd when I was 16, I went to a, uh, a, a, a sixth form college, if you like, a tertiary college. 
to do A levels, um, and uh, I we were doing a, a alongside the A levels, we were doing a two year art foundation course. So I was doing art. I was like into painting and what painting and drawing. And after we'd done the two years, um, we were the guinea pigs for that course, trying to do an, uh, an art foundation course alongside A levels. And um, we, a lot of us sort of felt that the, the, the art side of it, which is what we were really interested in, hadn't been terribly good and that we should apply to proper art schools, do a proper, you know, one year foundation course before going on to do, you know, a degree course. And um, I went to, I applied to the central school to do uh, another year foundation. And they said, you're too good to do another year foundation. You should go for a, do a, a fine art degree course. And then for reasons that I can't remember, I, I then changed, I applied to what was then Kingston Polytechnic to do a fine art degree course. And they looked at my stuff and said, you're not good enough. You should do a year foundation. And I'd had these thoughts about going to France to paint basically, because I was a big fan of Van Gogh and I sort of, and I just, it, I, I don't ask me where it particularly came from, but, but it was, it, I mean, it was from Van Gogh, but why I decided I, I wanted to go, you're 18, you, you don't really think these things through. And I thought, well, I'm stuck between two here, between, you know, doing another year foundation or, or, or doing uh, a fine art degree course. So fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'll go to France and see what happens. And um, yeah, so that's what I did. Just, uh, um, went down there and yeah <laughs> a lot of people were very very kind to me and um enabled me to stay because i didn't i had very little money but uh, um yeah i mean i think when you're 18 as well if, if, if i was going to do it now to go to a country where i didn't speak the language with very little money i think you're mental you wouldn't do that would you You'd be absolutely yeah. fucking stupid when you're 18 it doesn't occur to you that you've had it. yeah oh yeah i'll go and do that <laughs> so, that's what i did so yeah i was gonna ask how you didn't speak French going into it? No, not really. No, I mean, I, I, I um, scraped through the O level, but I hadn't done any. So obviously when I was 16, so when I went when I was 18, so I had, I had the very, very basics of French, you know, but um, no, I couldn't, I couldn't speak it. I just had to, but the thing is, is, is that when you, what I found is when I went to our, very few people spoke English, the people that I met. Um, so basically, you learn. And I think if you, go, if you go to a foreign country with a friend and you're talking English all the time to your friend, you never immerse yourself in the language because you're always breaking out of it and then trying to get back into it and then coming out of it again. Whereas if you go on your own and you have to speak the language or yeah. you're, you know, that, that it, it's absolutely the best way to learn. When I came back from France after three years, um, I, I thought, oh, that was great. You know, I can speak French now. That's brilliant. I'd love to learn Italian. So I bought myself to teach self Italian. And of course, after 20 minutes, I was bored and I never looked at it again. But when you immerse yourself in a culture like that, then it, 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 you, you take it in. It's sort of like osmosis. You just learn it and you find it always used to annoy me when people say, oh, you know, after a while, you, you, you actually think in the language and you think, you're talking about it's ridiculous but you actually do then you you don't actually when you start you're thinking in english you're translating into french and then you're saying it in french 
But once you really get into it, you're actually just, you're not translating anymore. You're just actually speaking language. And it, it is fantastic. But it's even better when you don't feel like you've had to do any work <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first heard Braille, was your French good enough to understand? Um, no, no. Uh, um, it, it, uh, well, when I first, no, because I'd been, that would have been October, I got there in August. I'd only been there a few months. Ah. So I sort of, because I knew Amsterdam in English, um, I could sort of like... Fake it. Pop it. Uh, yeah, but uh, um, then as the other songs, it was really after I'd seen him a year later performing, that was really when I thought, you know, um, I, I was listening to his stuff, but not as much until that year later when I was really, you know, when I saw it, uh, that's what really made me want to. And of course, a year later, my French was better and I could understand more. Mm. Yeah. So let's get to the new record, um, which is a double album. <laughs> Blossoms and Bicycles, great title. Do you remember that when that came to you or how? Uh, it's a line from, uh, from a song from uh, Nadine One Summer. Oh, right. Yeah. Usually, uh, usually I, um, I just pick a song and call the album after a song because <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of, um, you know, album titles sometimes. It's, yeah. But, but I suppose also because uh, Brel, um, Braille albums they don't they never have names they, 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 either they're called after a song or it's, or it's Braille 1 or Braille 2 Braille 3 but, they, but they, they're never called like you know the, the interior life of a ping pong ball or something it's, it's always you know it's just like this is a collection of songs this is some songs there you go they're, they're never concept albums or anything like that it's just this bloke's written some songs and here they are and I like that I like that uh, um, so yeah, so, so it's the first time I haven't called an album after one of the songs on the album, but I just thought, um, uh, in fact, I think it, it may be somebody on Facebook, that, that the photo that I've used on the front was from a Facebook friend, and uh, she put the photo up. Yes, that would be perfect. So uh, um, maybe maybe I called it Blossoms of Bicycles because I saw that and I thought, well, I could marry the two together and that, that would work, but... Yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing greatly deep in it. It's just a yeah, nice image. Yeah. So the double album, is that a, uh, did that come from being in lockdown that, you know, you had? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was purely that uh, um, um, because I was just, just so, so, I felt so free just to do what I wanted. The first time since I was on the dole in the mid eighties that I didn't actually have to do anything. I could just concentrate completely on music. I mean, I, I know some people have suffered through lockdown, but I absolutely loved it. It's just been brilliant for me. Same here. It was, I had time yeah. to do creative stuff and yes, exactly. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And, and, and now slowly, I'm having to start doing bits of work again. And it's just like, it's just a pain in the ass. You know, it's, it's just like, I do, I, I do wish that they would bring in this universal income, just, um, just give you a basic amount of money just to survive on. Because I think, as I say, in the eighties, when I was on the dole, 
you'd go and sign on and they'd say, have you done any work in the last two weeks? And you'd say, no, I haven't. And they'd say, okay, sign here. You sign there. They send you the money. And that's it. It's as simple as that. And so there was never any sort of interrogation. Well, what have you done to try and find, find work? Whereas for kids these days, for creative kids these days, to be able to say, you know what, I'm concentrating on, on being creative. Like, we, we don't care about that. Yeah. Get a job or we won't give you any money. I think it's, it's awful. Just, just awful. I mean, that, that time for me when I was on the dole uh, was so, it was such a valuable time because I could, I, as I say, I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to concentrate on anything other than writing, singing, basically learning what I wanted to do with no pressure at all it was it was great and i i, you know, I did find it very difficult uh, to understand how creative kids today but you know they say that suicide rate uh, amongst young people has gone up and i'm not surprised i mean it's just just awful mm. people who you know human beings who want to express themselves basically so well yeah you can if you have time in the evening but other than that you can't yeah when you're tired after a full day yeah of work. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's just just horrible so yeah, so so basically, the album was just messing about, uh, um, and um, some of the songs were partially written. Some of them weren't written at all. Some of them are, are, are repeats from other albums that I wanted to re-record. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because speaking of naming songs, naming albums after the songs, uh, <laughs> Cupid is yeah. a drunkard in my own way, make yeah. another yeah. appearance on this. One. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, Cupid is a drunkard. We did uh, um, the way that we always do it live is, is is the fast version, which is on the first album, on the October album, and uh, um, that album was recorded at home on a digital four track that had two uh, two virtual tracks. Um, so, in other words, um, you bounce songs together. Yeah, I mean, you bounce tracks together, and then that's it. You can't do it once they're together they're together because you had to do it to free up another track to do something else so you can't then you can't change the, the volume on it or anything you can't really do much more to, to mix it and i just i mean i like it i like that album but it's um it is what it is you know and 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 it, it's you know obviously i think with all of my albums production values uh, uh, are not what they could be but that first one particularly, I, th I think it sounds okay, you know, but, but um, um, we re-recorded we re Cupid as a Drunkard on the second album, but that was a slow jazz version. And whenever we, <laughs> whenever we asked the audiences when we did gigs, um, shall we do the, the, the slow version or the fast version? They always said the fast version. Personally, I prefer the, the slow jazz version, but I like jazz, but nobody else does. So, um, so that's why I thought, well, we should re-record that because we don't have a proper recording of it. It is a proper recording on the first, but it's. I just wanted to redo it so, um, um, so that we had it recorded a little bit better than the first time. And uh, my own way, when we were, my own way is a song that I play myself on the guitar when we do it live and so john who plays the guitar um he has to find something to do while i'm doing the, the rhythm and uh, we were doing it one time live and uh, um and i'm 
singing the words and I'm trying to make sure that I don't forget the words, but I can hear John doing this amazing stuff on his guitar. And I'm just like, that sounds really good, but I can't really listen to what, it, what he's doing. I can, so I'm slightly aware of it, but I can't really concentrate on it because I've got to think about what I'm doing. And um, he did that a few times. And uh, uh, um, it is basically what you hear on the album. It's sort of like, like you know, he's done a few, a few uh, of different tracks, a few different guitar tracks, and we've picked bits um, from, from all of them. But uh, I just thought, that sounds so good. I want to record that. I want to get that, that down with him doing what he does. Mm. Yeah, so that's why we repeated that. And also because I got to the point <clears throat> where I either, had, I either had enough songs to do one, a single album, or I needed to uh, put some extra songs in to make it a double album. And we only needed, I only needed a few to make it a double album. So I thought, well, I, I wanted to re-record those anyway. So um, why not? Yeah. So it was, um, stick it all on. I have a rather lengthy question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But relating to Cupid as a drunkard, and we're talking about Brel, which uh, Ed is at the Ritz is one of my favorite songs. It's, it's really funny. And I like, there's a lot of humor in your songs. And then there's songs which are really romantic. I think Racing Days is probably my favorite song of yours. Okay. And then uh, Cupid is a Drunkard, <laughs> it, you know, it's humorous when dealing with romance. I remember the first time, one of the first times I saw you, you introduced it with, this one's for anyone who's thinking of getting married. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was your question? What? Um, yeah, what was my question? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at an observation. If it comes back to me, I'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, was it where the song came from or, or uh, a I different... Get, are you, is that your views towards the song these days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, okay. I've, I've, I've never... I mean, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm not religious i have no religious faith at all and it and people you know everybody will have a different view on whether whether marriage is religious or, or not i um for me it's just yeah, for me it's just unnecessary it's, it's it's just you know if you love somebody brilliant you know and and sometimes you know you, i'm sure we've all seen those stories of people who have been together for 20 years unmarried and then they go when we get married, all oh, right, let's get married. We get married, and then you know, a couple of years later, they they're getting divorced and separating. Why? Why did you spoil it? Yeah. Okay. But it's it's actually inspired by a song by a, a, a great French songwriter called George Brassens, who wrote a song called "La Non Demande au Mariage," the, the not asking for your hand in marriage, huh. uh, which is sort of uh, uh, the same the same thing. It's sort of like, why would you? Was he, it, he starts off by saying something? Why would you want to put Cupid's arrow to, to your throat? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a great song. A great nice. Song. I'll fuck yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's let's go through. We won't have time to go through all the songs on the record, yeah. but uh, <laughs> let's go through a few of them. I, I my favorites. Like, yes. Uh, the opening track, "Take Me Back to Tuesday." Yeah. Really sort of rocking feel, great catchy chorus. Tell me about this one. Uh, that was one of the new ones. Uh, um, 
that was probably not even started at the beginning of lockdown. So that was written during lockdown. Um, I can't, I can't really, I don't know as much I can say about it. It was, it's just, uh, um, um, it's the sort of song that I don't usually write, I suppose. It's because I suppose it, there are a few on there that are, that are a bit more poppy and maybe a bit more rock than some of the songs I've written in the past. I just, I liked the idea of that sort of, uh, that you assume that it's being written about, but if the, the man is singing a song about a, a, a young woman and then at the end you've got the, the, the twist and in fact, um, the reason that he wants to go back is because his life's been turned upside down because in fact he's fallen in love with the boy. And, uh, um, and I, I sort of, I like that, the very last line, the very last word, boy. Uh, but uh, other than that, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, thing is, all I have to say that um, I don't know, you know, you, you, you write and, and, and record your own stuff, don't you? I, I don't know if you feel the same, but for me, when I've spent so long working on an album, um, I find it very hard to it's going to sound a bit awful perhaps, but I, I sort of find it quite hard to like what I've just done because it, it's yeah because I sort of I I I you're so yeah I've been so involved in it for so long and especially as we've just been saying during lockdown when you have nothing else to to occupy your mind so you're you're, you're doing it all the time which is fantastic but once I always have this this sort of um, feeling once it's done, like I I don't want to listen to that anymore. I don't want to listen to that. And then maybe in a couple of years' time, I listen to it and I think actually this is okay. But <laughs> I find it very very hard to 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 relate to stuff that I've just done. It's just like I, I think there's always a sense of. Um, disappointment it never sounds as good as i want it to sound i listen back to the songs and i think oh you know maybe i could have done that better um it's just yeah it's just one of those one of those things i suppose and and then you know now i'm i'm i'm, I'm working on other stuff and you always think the stuff you're working on at the moment <laughs> is yeah. better than that <laughs> well that that was shit that was shit we won't, we won't worry about that but this stuff's going to be much better and then you go through the process every time and then you sort of when you've done when you finish the stuff you think it's going to be better you think actually that's shit isn't it and then you just move on so it yeah i i i don't remember where it came from i imagine i just had that idea take me back to tuesday and then the song grew out of that but uh, um yeah. <laughs> so you've been doing gigs, or at least you did, had one last week. Uh, yes. First gig uh, for 18 months. Oh, wow. How'd it yeah. go? It was fine. It was only four songs. It was oh. uh, at an evening with um, quite a few other people um, uh, to raise money for a venue. You know, that, that was, uh, um, just needs a bit of funding. Um, yeah, it was fine. Did you do any of the new ones? <laughs> Did one new one? Okay. <laughs> we did. Uh, we did. If I do, I do. Okay. Which I still like. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to say about that one? 
Uh, well, it says, it says on the album, uh, um, it's sort of like it's, it's Midnight in Trieste revisited. It's sort of, it goes back to the, the, the Midnight Train at the end of the song, you get the Midnight Train and, uh, and all of that. Um, uh, I, I liked, I like that song uh, lyrically. I like the idea of, you know, um, like uh, certain bits of it. Um, they said I'd grow to be a fine young man one day. And if I do, I do. That sort of that little just just playing around the phrase. If I do, I do. I liked, um, had fun with that. I like, I, um, I do. I I don't know really what other people think, but I I personally, I really like language. I you know and and uh, um, I I obviously <laughs> write songs far too many words. <laughs> go on forever but i do like language and i like i like the language in in that song and i think sometimes songs uh, um if you like like cupid is a drunkard they're songs that say something and they lay it out hopefully in an entertaining way but this 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 and there's the song but then there are other songs which are more poetic uh, um that just have more fun with language and that, that are maybe I think the thing that I really, really liked with Brel was that the language, I think the challenge and what makes him such a brilliant songwriter is the fact that he, he, you understand what he's saying to you, but he keeps it. The language is interesting. Mm. You, you don't, you don't like, like for instance, with, with Bowie, sometimes you're thinking, I don't actually know what's going on in this song i can like it but i don't really understand what's going on and i think that the challenge is to make sure that people i want people to know what's going on in the song but i want it to be instead of you know like man goes into a pub has a pint of lager and leaves that you that you you say it in a poetic way so that people can listen to it hopefully again and again without getting too bored so the idea is to try and try and say what you're saying in a language that that inspires people make, makes them want to listen to it again but i don't really like songs that are just too opaque mm. uh, i saw a thing I, 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 on tv here um seal you know the singer seal yeah yeah he had he, his first big hit was something about a rose i can't remember the name of the rose or something rose. like that is, is that it yeah yeah and he was on this program and and they said you know, lovely to see you, blah, blah, blah. Now we're all dying to know what's that song about? And he said, I, I don't know. He said, I just, you know, I just, I just wrote and I thought, well, that sounds good. And I just sung it. And, and, and I thought, that's great. You know, it's fine. It's, you know, it's made you a lot of money and everything. But for me, I think, no, that's no, you can't do that. You can't just go, I don't know. You know, that's not fair. Uh, and, and I, I want, I want to, I, I, if you're going to write a song which is very opaque and in a way like like so when bowie after bowie died and then i started seeing i'd never really thought about wondering what the hell he's on about but that actually after he died i started finding sites where they were actually talking through what the song was where it came from why he wrote it and if he'd ever spoken about any particular song and why he wrote it and i thought okay well that's sort of now that i know it drive you know so many of his songs were written about dystopian future societies so a song like drive in saturday which is one of my favorite songs when i was a kid 
well, okay, okay, well, now I can sort of see, but I still, I still struggle with that in a way personally, you know what I mean? That's just from a personal creative point of view. I'm very anal, I'm very pedantic, and I want, I want to be able to say to people, yes, this was written because of this, and that was written because of that, and that's what it means, and not that. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that's where the money is, though. I mean, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah that that is absolutely right. I've I've wondered about this a lot. Like, how many song lyrics? What percentage of song lyrics? Uh, yeah, actually mean anything or any good? Like, it's a pretty low percentage, I would say. Like. People don't really seem to care about lyrics, and some of them well, are. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's, there's that. There's that. I, I never forget the woman's name. She wrote the song, but the, the famous lines are. Um, uh, hang on, let me get this right. Um, I, I hope I don't see a ghost. It's the thing that I fear most. I'd rather have a piece of toast. Okay, now that I think that song actually went to number one. And see, when you when you when you hear, I mean, you can, you can Google that. So like ghost, most toast, whatever. And I'm sure it'll tell you what the song is, but when you see that, actually it's, it's sort of funny, but in a way it's also depressing because then you do think, what's the point? Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares that, well, but there I'm wrong. You see, it's not that nobody cares. Some people care very much. Some people, yeah. and that's why some people gravitate towards certain more singer songwriter types rather than, pop music or or, or 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 songs like um she sells sanctuary you know the uh, is it the cult yeah well you, you you don't i have no idea what the song's about i can't understand a blind word the bloke says it's got a great tune it's great it's riff got, yeah, yeah yeah exactly it's, <laughs> it's it's got that uh, um sort of energy to it but you just think people don't don't care you know it's just like <laughs> whatever we don't care and um it's very interesting. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. There's, uh, it was on BBC Four, a documentary called "You Should Tame uh, History of French Chanson." With Pichu. no, I would love to see that. <laughs> it's it's really good. It's very it's very interesting. And in that, um, Charles Aznavour, who spoke uh, fluent French and English, he says uh, in an interview in English, he says that the difference for him between uh, French songwriting and English songwriting, he says in, in French songwriting, he says, we try and write the very best words that we can. And then if possible, good music. And he says in England, you try and write the very best music that you possibly can. And then if possible, good words. And I think that that's, it's not true in every case, but I think that as a sort of an overall thing that it probably is about, that sort of thing it, it, it's far more important to us to have the tune to have the riff to have that that sort of something and then the words secondary and uh, um but as i say i thankfully that isn't true for every Always. consumer of music you know yeah. it's, it's like there are people who who and it's funny my, my my younger brother pete always said to me he said you should go to america he said because uh, um americans with the history of country music for example listen to words far more than we do in this country i don't know if that's true or not i don't know what you think about that huh i've never thought about it before and i mean i've lived in both countries so yeah 
I mean, you know, we have appallingly bad lyrics too, but <laughs> we yeah, do have some good yeah. ones. I mean, yeah. But yeah, it's, I, yeah. I, I suppose like it, the equivalent of country music in America is folk, maybe in this country. And, you know, a, a lot of folk songs do tell stories or do have points to make. So, Speaking of story songs in America, have you been to the States? I was going to ask you that about with uh, outside of Valentine's Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Perry County, you know a song Perry County? Yeah. That was written, uh, um, I went to Nashville with my mate Jeff. Uh, that was uh, 2004, I think, because uh, I have friends uh, who were living in Nashville at the time. And um, yeah, so we, we hung out in Nashville and we went to Memphis, spent a night in Memphis and then um, I think a night in uh, New Orleans, but that's my own experience of America. Oh, wow. I, I lived in Nashville in 2018. And um, oh, okay. the first time I ever did comedy, I drove out to Memphis from Nashville to do it. Um, but I, I mean, I've, I'm a huge Elvis fan. So like, oh, right. it was like a yeah. pilgrimage sort of thing. Yeah. And it was yeah. really, well, what did you think of Memphis? Um, it was... I mean, we, we sort of did Beale Street and, uh, you know, and just it was literally just a, a night that we spent there. I suppose that the, the thing that I felt actually, it's, it's difficult because you know that America is a vast country before you get there. But when you actually get there, you think, actually, it's even more vast than, than you comprehend just by looking at it on a map. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I assume that, uh, you know, I've heard people say that the different parts of America are so different from each other because it is such a vast country. But I, I just, I don't know, I, I, it's, it's not just about Memphis, but about, certainly about Nashville and Memphis. And I mean, I suppose New Orleans is slightly different because it has more of that history, you know, in the, in the, the, the French Quarter and mm. that the, 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 the buildings are, are slightly different. But I just found it quite cold and sort of functional. Um, um, the, the, the buildings and everything—it's—it's um, it's, just—it's just different. I'm not I'm not trying to say it's better or worse, but it's just—it's just different. And I think I don't really know what I mean when I say that I feel more European. But but I, you know, traveling in Europe. I feel more at home than I did in America. I just thought you can understand when you actually go there why everybody has cars. Yeah. Jeff and I, Jeff and I were staying at a, 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 a friend's house, and she was living. I can't remember. It was uh, uh, Riverside. I don't know if you know it, Riverside. Anyway, uh, um, residential area, mm. and uh, and we were we and because we didn't have it, we did hire a car to to go to, to Memphis, but we didn't have a car at this point. And so we were walking from my friend's house to the supermarket. And when we walked out onto the road, there are no pavements, no sidewalks there. And, uh, and so we think, well, this is, this is weird. So we just like, we just walk on the road or, or just on the, on the grass on people's front lawns sort of to, to get to the, uh, to the supermarket. And uh, as we were walking along, this police car, pulled up and as it got close to us it slowed right down and the police are sort of like, like looking at it like this and we were thinking 
it's because we're not in a car, isn't yeah. it? That's why Suspicious. they're looking at us like, yeah, they're, they're like, well, who are these two blokes just walking? They must you know, be in trouble. Like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but then you realize, well, it is so massive. All the shops are so laid out. You know, they're so far away from it. Obviously, you understand as well that, that what's happened to American town centers is sort of happening over here now, that everything goes out to the, to the, the mall outside of town or just slightly away from the town. So the town center dies. There's nothing there. I mean, the first time that we walked into, we walked into Nashville uh, town center. This was in January. So it was obviously, you know, like perhaps less populated it would have been anyway. The only other person that we saw not in a car was a bloke in army fatigues wearing a sombrero. who <laughs> was clearly completely, <laughs> completely out of it. He was the only other person that we saw in the street. People in the cars, like at, at, at traffic lights, were just looking at us like, you know, we must be bums or something. And, and, and you understand then it's a completely different way of life. Um, it's just, I mean, we, we went out, we went out honky-tonking. We went out to, to like, like some of, of the, the bars in downtown Nashville with our, friend, uh, with our friends and with friends of theirs as well. So we must have been, I don't know, six or eight people. And uh, um, so we were downtown Nashville. We walked out one of these bars and there was another bar sort of like, like up the road and uh, which we'd been to before, which we liked. And we said, well, wh- why don't we go up to that bar? And they went, um, okay, uh, well, shall we meet you up there? And we were going, what do you mean meet us up there? We just... And they were, well, well, we'll take the cars. And we were going, but it's there. I mean, you can see it. It's there. It's going to take five minutes to walk. And these people are so used to just getting in their cars. Jeff and I were like, what? It's, but it, you know. And in the end, we sort of persuaded them. We could just walk. You know, it is just there. But it's just the whole culture just revolves around getting the car. And it, it's just, it's, as I say, it's not, it's not right or wrong. It's different. Yeah. And uh, it, it wasn't, I would like to go to New York at some point because everybody says New York's, again, a different sort of vibe to it, completely different from the rest of America. So it would be interesting to see that, that maybe New York is more European. I don't know. But uh, um, I, I, it was, yeah, so it was, yeah. So to try and answer your question, I don't know. Memphis, <laughs> it was, it was not, it, we didn't see enough of it, perhaps, you know, we did go to Graceland. Uh, uh, and had to look around there, but I was surprised yeah, that Sun yeah. Studios was literally just like a corner shop, just how small it was. Yes, yes, yes. We didn't go into Sun Studios, but we did sort of like like go past it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just different. So we're talking about the song uh, outside of Valentine's yeah, National, yeah, yeah. really good story song. Are you a big reader? And we're talking about language too. Is, I'm the sort of person who does read, uh, who would like to read more, um, but I, I don't find much time. But, you know, I, 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 yes, I read. I do read. I like reading. Who are some of your favorites? My, my probably, if I, if I had to choose one author, it's a, a French author, Marguerite Duras. Oh, I, um, I know who wrote, Yeah, she wrote The Lover, which apparently they made into a film, which I would don't watch the film. They sort of said it's semi-pornographic but the, the book i think is obviously it's translation um i've read it in english um is 
I I love her writing. She she also uh, wrote films, some film scripts. I'm not sure if she actually directed herself, but sometimes in her writing, uh, when she's in, writing a novel, <coughs> she it's almost like it's almost like a, a, a um, directions uh, for a film. So she'll say, "We see the girl walk away. We lose sight of her." behind the trees, then we see her again. Uh, and um, I really like that. I, in the, uh, I, I did a song called um, When the Sun Goes In. And there's, there's a bit in that where, where I, as the narrator, uh, um, about this particular character, we know nothing of his life. We don't know why this person is the way that he is. And the idea that you, that you as a narrator, don't have to explain everything. You can just report it, just go, mm. I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's somebody walking over there, lost sight of them, there they are again. It, the way that she writes, I think The Lover was written in 1984. Um, she's written some <clears throat> pretty, uh, it's, it's difficult would be, would be perhaps the right word, uh, books to read sometimes. Um, because they are, she leaves gaps and, and you sort of fill in. She would perhaps make suggestions and then you fill those gaps in yourself. What do you think might have happened here or there? So their stories, sometimes short stories, where she talks about these people as if you already know them. She doesn't really describe them a lot. And some of those books can be a bit difficult, but um, I think when she, I think with the, she wrote The Lover and then she wrote The North China Lover, which is a retelling of the same story of the, as The Lover. So she, oh. she, so if you read The Lover first and then read The North China Lover, because she refers back to the original book that she wrote. Um, <clears throat> I love her. I love uh, um Marcel Pagnol, uh, another French author, actually, who wrote um, Jean de Florette and uh, Manon of the Springs, I think it is, uh, um, which is, a, I mean, they made it into a famous film with um, Gérard Depardieu, but that is a wonderful book. It's a sort of, it's almost uh, uh, the, the, the uh, thickness of a Dickens, the, 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 the stories. I don't know if it was written for a newspaper like Dickens was where, you know, you had little installments in a newspaper, daily or weekly, whatever. But it, I, I think that's a fantastic book. Well, those two, I mean, they're, they're all one story, two books perhaps, but the same story following on. Uh, um, I love that. Uh, I don't know, I, I do tend, I like Ann Tyler. I read, uh, think I've read everything Ann Tyler's ever written. Um, yeah. When uh, we first started talking about Bro, you were saying about uh, telling a story and painting a picture. I wanted to get to my favorite song on your record, uh, Hey Sylvie. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah. It paints a lovely well, picture. Well, that's, 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 uh, that's one of the sort of the, the poppiest. Yeah, I'm a big pop guy. Yeah. <laughs> You'll notice I'll pick out all the major key ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, um, I, I, again, uh, I can't really remember. Oh no, I do remember. I was uh, uh, because I was. Um, I'm sat here in my little pod 
my little sort of studio, recording studio. And up here next to me, I have all of my notebooks, which are all numbered. Uh, and I was um, flicking through them, trying to remember songs which I'd started writing and then forgotten. And I, I did have a song called Hey Sylvie. And I thought, well, I like that. Hey Sylvie was just like a nice, I don't know, I just something I liked. And, uh, and so I carried on writing it. I hadn't, I, it was nothing like it. the finished product, is nothing like where it started. Um, and I mean, but I suppose the the opening line is um, Sunday morning in the sun, Sylvie cycles her way home, which is sort of quite uh, um, uh, taken a little bit from Jake Thackeray. So Jake Thackeray, you know, uh, the idea that she's cycling home on a Sunday morning suggests that she spent the night with somebody else. Uh, and and Jake Thackeray often writes songs, well, not often writes songs. He has written songs about uh, uh, sexually liberated women, uh, the the widow of Bridlington, for instance, and country girl, country girl. She goes out to the local Saturday night dance, finds herself a boy, and then she shags him in the bushes, and then you know she's all happy next day. So it, it's that sort of uh, that was the idea for the very beginning of the song, the idea that she's you know. She's just happy living her own life and riding a bike. Yes. And yeah. no gods, no yeah. bastards. She's yeah. very yeah. free. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't doesn't come from doesn't come from anybody in particular. It was just like a, an idea. Okay. Yeah, Sylvia is yeah. one of my favorite names. It's it's yeah. a very good pop name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good start. If you like the name, it's a good yeah. start to liking the song. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Fire on the Clapham Road. Um, in the 80s, when I was on the dole, my younger brother Pete uh, and I lived in a squat on um, Clapham Road in Stockwell, um, South London. And um, there's, it actually says in the song, a uh, line of squats. So in my head, that's, it, 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 you know, I could sort of see that in my head uh, where it was. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just the idea of, of uh, in the song, I'm I'm with a, a woman in the in the squat or in the flat, wherever in the house, and um, there's a fire, and uh, just the idea that juxtaposition of the fire <laughs> in our lives, and then the, <laughs> the actual fire, and that you know, um, it's it's a good chord change underneath the title in the chorus. Ah. Yeah, I can't. Remember. Minor four, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I. The, the mistake, <laughs> the mistake that I make is I don't always write them down, and sometimes uh, I go back through songs thinking, "What did I do there? I can't remember what it is." And trying to, <laughs> especially with songs which are, which I haven't developed any further. I've just done a, I've just done like a version of a song, and I've recorded it, and I've just put it somewhere. And then I haven't actually written the chords down anyway, and I'd have to listen back to it and try and work out what the chords are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've got it somewhere. There's one more I want to ask. Here comes the revolution. Um, mm -hmm. A bit more frantic than the others. Like a yeah, mod I mean, feel. I, yes. Yeah. I, I, I like... Uh, it's one of the things that when I started writing, it was all very... Um, as I said before, I, you know, I just I just wanted to be Jacques Brel and just just do that sort of thing. 
uh, French chanson in English. But, you know, I come from punk and glam, and then there are lots of other bands that predate that, um, like uh, the MC5 and the Stooges. But then lots of bands from the late 60s, um, the garage bands and the, you know, the, the psychedelic garage bands. And for years and years, um, I never had electric guitar in my songs. I didn't want electric guitar in my songs. I sort of felt like that isn't what I do. I'm not an electric guitar kind of guy. You know, this is, this is, this is not that, this is something different. And then I thought, well, actually, it's it's just it can be fun you know i think i just became a bit less tight-assed about what i permitted myself to do and uh um and as i you know the the whole lockdown thing like with that song for instance just thought, well i'm just having fun in the in the, the the last album i did uh angelina supercop there's there's quite a lot of electric guitar bits in that as well and I just really enjoyed that. And I thought, well, you don't have to just do this or just do that. You can, you can, um, you can add stuff. You should feel free to add stuff when and where you feel that it's appropriate and if you like it. And I do like that sort of uh, um, garage sound mm. occasionally. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was, um, it's really sort of. Uh, inspired by the black lives matter protests that we had over here i don't know if you saw it they, they uh, in bristol they tore down um, a statue of a slave trader and chucked it in the in the river which yeah. was great and i actually thought then when that happened i sort of thought fantastic you know like like this is i feel like my generation we've i mean you know we've not done nothing but you know i think the the gay rights movement and the anti-racist movement that came with with punk uh, um, in the late 70s I think that that did give people something to build on but there's still so much shit in our society and you just think well you know we had our chance we didn't do much when I see young people getting out and doing stuff like that I just thought it's brilliant I thought it was absolutely fantastic I, I, I was so inspired by it unfortunately we don't seem to have been able to carry it forward and then you know you get the the reactionary right-wing voices of booing footballers taking the knee and that sort of stuff, which, and you just think, oh God, anything. We we started making some progress, and now it just is, uh, just going backwards again, which is frustrating. But you just you can't you can't just think about it too much. But anyway, that's that's sort of where the song. It was that the feeling of you know, here comes revolution. That's uh, um going to move things forward but then it was a big feeling at that time last yeah June, yeah right? there was a lot of stuff yeah. going on over here as well and it was yeah especially you know when yeah. it was dangerous for people to even be next to each other that you know it yes, was great yeah. that that momentum yeah. was there <laughs> yeah yeah but of course you, you you got rid of trump and we've still got boris johnson so yeah. i don't think things will not change radically until hopefully he's gone 
but what will replace him? <laughs> that doesn't basically. Uh, you know. So, uh, anything else you want to say about the album? Buy it. Buy it. Um, yes. Where can people do that? <laughs> uh, at uh, jays.com. Um, J E A Y S dot com. Uh, buy all the stuff there. You can listen to the stuff there. That'll take you to a Bandcamp page. All of the albums are on Bandcamp. You can uh, flip through them and listen to all the songs for free on there. Um, as I said earlier, it, it's sort of it's done now. <laughs> it's done. It's <laughs> forgotten about. I'm I'm uh, looking at the new one now, having fun looking at that. Um, oh, how's how far is that in the works? Uh, well, um, uh, I have it here. Um, I have quite a few songs on it. Uh, that I did a, an album called um, The Bungee's Test, which was just acoustic versions of songs, which mm -hmm. I did to try and raise money to uh, to record one of the previous albums. So it's just like it was only available as a download for a five or something. But there are a number of songs on there that I like and I want to record properly. So I said mm. that they were just done for vocal and acoustic guitar. So I'm redoing some of those and I'm, I'm, um, some of those I'm rewriting or I'm changing them slightly because I think well, I could have done that better again. <laughs> I could have done that better. So I'm trying to do it better. Uh, and then, uh, yes, there's a, there's a, um, a, a few new ones, um, stuff that I'm working on now, which, you know, like when, once I've finished doing the, the, the double album, I just thought, I don't, yeah, that's, I've had enough of this for a bit. Uh, but then slowly you start thinking, start picking up the guitar again and <laughs> doing stuff and thinking, oh, that might work. And you just start all over again. And the cycle continues. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. So well, we keep going. I have to get going to go to the chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to talk. Yes. Yes. Love to talk to you. I will, I will second that by the album. I really enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, go to jays.com and have a listen. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. Definitely check out Jays' new album, Blossoms and Bicycles, and, well, his whole back catalog, really. Some of my favorite songs of his are Racing Days, Ed is at the Ritz, and, of course, the song, Mr. Jays. You can listen to it all and buy it at philipjays.bandcamp.com or you know, jays.com, like Phil said. That's Philip with one L and then J-E-A-Y-S. And do give my young Southpaw Humpty Dumpty and HD video a look. And my Nick Cave's Bar memoir is being added to even more stores, which is awesome. Check that out if you're interested. It's a memoir about the time in 1999 that a complete stranger told me that Nick Cave owned a bar in Berlin. And without doing any further research whatsoever, my best friend and I set off to find it flying from, well, Boston, Mass, to Germany. And it went even more wrong than you can imagine. But it's a lot of fun to look back on now. If you dug the show, all shares and subscribes and ratings, very much appreciated. I'm going to play you out now on Hey Sylvie from Phil's new album, a fantastic pop song. Until next time.
Sunday morning in the sun Sylvie cycles her way home Smiling softly to herself No God, nor Master The gods themselves would surely blush To see the wind pick up her dress On her one tattoo that says Ni Dieu, ni Maître No God, no Master Just a Crazy shoes all away from Hong Kong. Hey Sylvie. Hey Sylvie. Hey Sylvie. And she sings na 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 na. Watch you riding past on your lucky cycle Hey Sylvie Hey Sylvie Hey Sylvie I don't think I should I don't think I should I hope 